Welcome to the podcast, Cole. Yes. Okay, great. How are you? <laughs> How are you feeling today? Uh, really, really good. I love being cold. It's really cold out, and I've been outside all day, so my hands are still like really, really cold. And I, and I love that feeling. How do you feel when you're cold? Like cozy? Mm, like energized. Oh. You know, I think I actually I think this is true for most people, and I don't know if it's biological. Or not, um, but you know when it's like so hot, the image of someone is just like their eyes like closed and they're like, ugh, ugh, ugh. But when they're like, it's so cold, like, ah, 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 you know, like that's like a real thing. When you're cold, you're energized. Yeah. Yeah. I wish the cold had that effect on me. I, we were just talking about this, but I get really lazy this time of year, but. It's also nice because things feel more prominent this time of year. I might be overthinking mm-hmm. that a little bit, but like, for example, like any hot drink is going to feel like extra hot and cozy this yeah. time of year. A nice warm jacket when you're cold hits different. Blankets, mm-hmm. warmer, uh, pillows, softer. Yeah, this, this is my favorite time of the year in many ways. My birthday is on the 12th. Right? Oh. So it's my birthday. It's Christmas. It's post-Thanksgiving, so everybody's full of gratitude. Mm-hmm. And New Year's coming, right? So you get Thanksgiving to like think back on all the things that you're grateful for. Uh, you get Christmas, so like presents, being present, right? It's like, so just, it's built into it. You're like, right now. And then New Year's, it's like, what am I going to do in the future? It's like all of time in this one little moment. You just celebrate it all. It's really great. Yeah, this time of year is fantastic. I do get a little bit stressed because I want <laughs> I want to make sure that my friends know that I'm grateful for them this time of year. <laughs> I'm like, you know, if I forget to give them their card or something before Christmas, I don't want them to think that they like aren't important to me, which is so stupid because yeah. they know that. But um, do you think it's more important to like if you could put more energy into being grateful for your friends? But at the cost of them knowing that, you know, like, oh. would you do that? Or is it better, right? Because it makes them happy. Mm-hmm. It makes people happy to know that you're grateful for them, yeah. right? So you have to, like, you have to show them and tell them, right? You can't just secretly be doing really nice things for them the whole time. And then at the end of your friendship, like, one of you is on their deathbed and they look at you and they're like, you never did anything for me. And then they die and it's like, they lived that whole life <laughs> without knowing. So you kind of have to be a braggart, you know, in a way. I want credit for all this stuff. Yeah. It's, no. <laughs> it's, I, it is my biggest like, hurdle with relationships is like balancing that line, uh-huh. you know, because I, I hate it. I don't like talking about the things I've done for people, you know, mm. I don't like it. It makes me feel gross. Really? And so I won't. But then, you know, like, weeks will go, like, months will go by, and someone's like, man, like, it's been so long, you know, since, you know, you've done this thing. And I'm like, no, no, I have been doing it. I have been. I just didn't tell you that I was doing, ah, whatever. I'm curious, like, when you look at people in real life versus characters that you want to play... Do you look at them in the same way in that, like, you look 
at a, a real person like a real person? Would you look at a character like a real person? Or do you look at it more like a collection of attributes? Oh, wow. This is also the question that I ask people all the time. Um, where it's like when they, when they play someone in improv, you know, when, when they create a character, right? Uh, the inspiration of that character, it blows my mind when someone's like, yeah, that's just someone I knew. You know, I was talking to Fong, um, and uh, it reminded me, and I can't remember if he said it on this podcast, um, but he said that. He goes, yeah, it's just like some guy I knew. And he was the most absurd human being ever, and it was just a character he was playing. And it blew me away. I'm like, I can't, that can't, that can't be a thing. When I'm in the back line, like, do, do these people, like, they're just like, Oh, that guy! I'll be that guy! That's crazy to me! I'm, I'm so focused on, like, if someone picks up a pen in a scene, am I gonna, like, where's that pen gonna go? Like, my brain is like, I gotta watch that pen now because they picked it up and now that pen is in the scene. I can't be thinking of fucking Jeff at the, the tire shop. That's crazy to me! That is a lot to think about at one time. That's wild! How that's just one it? pen. That's just that's not even like all the names of everybody in the scene. Are you like saying what else? I'm thinking about is crazy? <laughs> no, it's the people that have like other humans in their like the whole encapsulized characters. Like loaded up like a gun, you know, just ready to fire out like I'm Jeff. <laughs> you know? That's crazy. How do you do it? When you when you do a character, when you step out as a character, are you like, I'm gonna be kinda like Marcy from uh, the the bagel shop I went to that one time. <laughs> I don't ever think about them like people. I'm I always I'm still at the point where like you just said, there's so much to think about and that there's so much going on and just like pick a couple things and just hold on to them and carry them. Like pick like a physical thing. Exactly, yeah. like a walk or an accent or whatever. Make that a thing. Or, you know, I think I've been trying to do this recently is like acting like the character and in turn you'll start to feel like the character mm. so like by walking like them talking like them imagining like what it would feel like to be in their body then it'll make it more natural for you you won't have to think about what to say you should already be in that headspace to be able to say what that person would say in that situation mm. given like their characteristics and stuff mm. that's what i'm trying to do Okay. But um, I, I wanted to ask you, though, when you walk into a scene that doesn't have anything going on yet, what do you think about? What are the first things you're trying to do? The, absolutely nothing. I, I go in. I take my first couple steps without an idea pretty much every single time. I'm, if no one's in it, I, I walk. I just walk out on stage without anything. And then I'll move my body. Uh, and usually like an idea will happen on as my hands raising up uh and if not then i'll just continue the motion right um all right great i'm raising my hand maybe there's something up there and i'll just grab onto something and then i'll think like all right what are my options you know like this is all happening you know so fucking fast right your brain's just firing like like exploring the space right yeah i'll raise my hand i'll grab something and i'll think like all right what are my options right i can this can be really heavy it can be really light you know it can hurt me like oh maybe it did hurt me but i waited too long why did it why did it take a little bit for it to hurt me now i have a whole thing where it's just like 
okay, so I'm touching this thing. It hurts me sometimes, right? And then someone can come in and it be not about that at all. Um, and, but I have that. I have that mm-hmm. whole world. They could be like, Jeffrey, oh, man, Jeff is going. That, I'm sorry, all the Jeffs. I know it's gonna this, but that's just the name is popping in my head. Like, they could be like Jeffrey. Yeah, you didn't pay the uh, you didn't pay the water bill, and I could keep playing with this thing and have a conversation. At the very end, say the thing, you know, and all of mm-hmm. all the work I did was justified, right? Mm-hmm. So the answer is nothing. <laughs> and I'm, and I'm a bad improviser. <laughs> I can't believe that you actually just walk out there with no idea in your head. Pretty much, and you're just like I'm just gonna grab onto an object and something will come from that. It's not that I don't try. I do try when, huh. when like, I'm listening. Yeah. Um, I'm listening to the suggestion, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm, like, looking at the crowd and stuff. And when it, however it starts, the 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, the and, uh, great, thank you, and, or whatever. If no one else goes out, I hate that space. I hate it. If no one else goes out, I'll go out. Um, after one second, I look around. No one goes, I go out. But if someone is like really wanting to go out, let them go. But it, you know, it's like, it's so, it's just so like crazy. How do people live? This is living in the present. This is another thing about living in the present. The suggestion gets said, it hit my brain. And then the next minute later, I don't know what that word was. I don't know. None of the scenes I'm doing are based off of that thing. Uh, I'm all right now, you know? Um, Clar- Clarbo dug a hole out of the ground. That's real, not fucking pineapple cake, which what the audience said, right? Mm. Yeah, I guess that's. What do you think about? Do you do you this wait till you have? Episode. Do you wait till you have an idea before you step out there? Yes. the way you said that your back straightened out your shoulders went back such confidence like yes (laughs) Yes. (laughs) like yes and no yes but also if I find myself standing on the back line with an idea that's past or if I'm standing there like oh this would have been funny and then 10 seconds go by and I still haven't jumped in then I know that I'm like behind if mm-hmm. I can, like, picture the scene happening in my head, then I'm, I should have already jumped in. Like, the moment has already passed. So sometimes I find myself standing there, like, waiting for the perfect opportunity as opposed to making a good opportunity. So mm-hmm. that's something I've been working on. Because I think it's a mindset shift, too. Is I'm looking at the scene waiting for a good gift or opportunity as opposed to thinking what could be additive to what's already going on. Mm. Do you think that's the right way to go? Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that is probably the right way. (laughs) No, I have no idea. Oh. (laughs) Um, There's, like, so many many variables to to improv, right? So many unknown variables, so many factors um, that when people start talking about, like, the right way to do it, you know, and... I should probably do this. I should probably do that. It feels like these rigid lanes that we operate in with with improv have created a culture where the scenes will look very similar to each other. Mm. You know? 
um, the rhythms of these jams right now are very consistent, right? If you go, if you go to like a one jam, if you go to one jam and you go to that jam 10 times in a row, 10 weeks, you kind of know like how it's going to play out, how like the next scene. And I think it's because, um, how improv is, is being, um, how this culture is being saturated with improv um, is allowing success through very like narrow lanes you know Interesting. it's encouraging performers to do particular things because that has found success you know uh, among their peers among themselves right so like I know this works I want things to work I'm going to do this thing. Mm -hmm. And so we get like very similar rhythms and timings. Uh, you know, like so much of it repeats itself again and again and again. Right. And so whenever I think kind of to what you were saying, you know, where it's like, I, I was doing it this way, but that's, I don't think that's right. I'm going to do it this way. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, like what if, what if that didn't matter? Right, and that's kind of a philosophy that I've um, really held on to. Is uh, I don't I don't really think that we should be trying to do good improv. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Please think, elaborate. I don't think we should be trying to do good improv. Mm -hmm. I think we should be as aggressively as we can exploring the bounds of our own creativity on a stage by yourself or with people, you know? Yeah. I mean, outside of like being generally respectful, you know, mm, yeah. and, and attentive to, you know, the audience and your scene partner's um, sensibilities. Outside of that, it's, I think there's way more room for exploration as to, you know, what this is for me as an individual, right? Um, we see it so often when uh, people immediately become terrified when they're by themselves on a stage for a prolonged amount of time. We get comments like, well, guess I'm alone here now, or mm -hmm. people pulling someone in, or like the scenes of, I'm working by myself, dad, dad, or honey, or, you know, always calling for more help, more and more people to come in. And that, you know, like, is like another tell for me where it's like, ah, you think this is, that's what it is. You think this is like, a scene is two people. Um. You know, this is a scene. You know, we're doing it, a scene, right? Mm. Whereas like that, that could just be a really beautiful opportunity for you to explore like, what would happen if I was by myself in whatever this environment is, you know? Right. Like, embrace that fear, right? Yeah, I was going to ask, what's a tool that you learned through classes that's been really helpful for you that you often mm. keep in your back pocket? Mm. Mm. Uh, Matt Stanton, have you heard that name before? No. Uh, he's like one of the original, you know, like founding members of Dad's Garage. And he used to teach um, classes over there. And uh, he was my level, you know, like one teacher. And uh, it was really, really interesting. Um, a level two, I can't remember. He taught, he taught me, uh, he taught a level or whatever. And, 
it was really interesting to have this person who had been doing it for so long, you know, like they weren't, it wasn't fresh. It didn't seem like they were, they were like instructing, mm-hmm. right? You know, it felt like uh, they were observing you doing the thing as much as, you know, an audience member was, right? Like he was just, I remember specifically, I did this thing where I was like in a canoe or something and um, I was just like doing some physicality or whatever. And when I really like took a moment and adjusted my hands so that I I was really like holding it, you know, while the other person was talking um, and I was listening, right? You, You should always be listening, but I really like took a moment and kind of settled into the physicality I watched like his like head kind of like tilt up right and this person who I only had like admiration for right and, and respect because he was you know like a founding member at this big you know like improv company that I loved you know um and he like he had like a like a, a curiosity to it that clicked in me so hard I was like oh great so details right the more details I can add to my physicality the more specific I can be with something the more interested they are it doesn't it's not about being funny or Mm. good storytelling but you can grab an audience's attention right with minute details so that's probably something I I would say I took from a class yeah that seems to have influenced your style heavily because you're very good at doing and maybe that's just come with time because you're you've been doing this for a while so maybe you're just okay. more comfortable. So that's something that also comes with comfortability too. Yeah, that's and, yeah. You know, maybe it's more about just how comfortable you are versus like your your style per se. But you're always mm-hmm. very like you play very big characters, and we talked about this last time. But <laughs> I... <laughs> yeah, we can't talk about anything that happened in the last time we did this. Uh... Um, but I remember saying that I was sometimes afraid to do scenes with you because you were such a big performer um and i remember you being like i hate that you said that (laughs) (laughs) Um, Um, but i meant it like in the nicest way it was just like it was it's me it's not you yeah um but yeah that's like something too that i've really started to admire in people's when i see my friends who play really big characters like do you know bridget fitzgerald yeah of course i know bridget so she plays huge characters and i think she talked about this on her episode too where she's like I always feel bad when I jump into scenes because I feel like I, you know, I have so much experience and I should let other people like get a turn and like, you know, share, spread the wealth in terms of opportunity and stuff like that. Um, and I love to see like now when I go to jams and stuff that she's still playing these big characters, but she's like roping all these other people in and she's like doing these big group scenes and stuff. And I'm like, that's just so great because not everybody has that power to be able to do that and play big characters and sure. and like she expressed wanting to spread the wealth more and so it was cool to see her like take the approach of I'm going to drag more people into this as opposed to I'm not going to step out as much um so it just got me thinking about like people who play big characters because you've done that so many times just from what I've seen like where you will start a whole scene for somebody else or like rope somebody into a scene and you've done that to me before too <laughs> and it's just so cool I love that you do that I wish I could do that for other people <laughs> I feel like at some point I'll get there but it's it's such a nice gift to be able to give a scene to somebody oh wow yeah 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 give a scene to someone that's a weird way to phrase it but no that's beautiful I love that that's really really 
Yeah, I'm gonna keep that. I'm gonna keep that in my head. Um, I love that's so true. Giving scenes is very fun, right? When you um, tagouts are my absolute favorite um, transition. Yeah. I love tagouts. Swipes. Um, I can't remember the last time I did a swipe. I don't know what it is, uh, but a tag out is really, really, really fun and engaging, especially in jams, uh, because if you have like an improviser, like you were saying, you know, like they're new or something, and they and they they might be scared to go into a scene that's like extravagant, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if they're already out there and I tag the other person, they're stuck. They're stuck <laughs> there. I can't leave. So. <laughs> We just might find ourselves in like the ear canal of a, you know, like a giant, right? And what is that? What, what happens? What happens then? I guess that's why it's like, <laughs> when you're saying, you know, like I, I gift people scenes, it's, I'm almost, uh, I don't know, I don't, I don't know a better way to put this, but it's, and when I perform with veteran improvisers, more often than not, I, I vaguely know what's going to happen next, you know? Um, the audience doesn't, and that's why veteran improvisers are so good because they're like, I know what I'm, what's gonna work, and the audience is gonna love it, right? And so you'll see veteran improvisers. You might even see them do like very similar, like things that they've done before, and the audience loses their mind, you know, because it's a new audience every time. Mm-hmm. Um, so most of the time with like a veteran improviser, I'm, you go out there and. And you kind of know what they're going to do. They kind of know what you're going to do. So that's why the scenes are so fast and they flow, you know. Um, but with a, a person that's like never, you know, like done like a big thing. Like, what are they going to do, right? What are they going to say? It's the most exhilarating thing for me in the entire world. I go out and I, I'm just like, you know, like, where are you? Oh, Dennis, I only got seven minutes left to live and... And I want to spend it with you. And their eyes flare up. They they take us they take a step back first. They always do. If they're a new improviser, and I jump out, your eyes open. You take a step back. You smile. You look around. You raise your hands in that like palms up kind of like, and maybe you shrug your shoulders. And the first thing is probably always I don't know. But then I just keep asking. Like, well, you have to know. You have to know. And then grab the steering wheel. Uh, doesn't matter. Get, get them physical, right? Get them in the, in the world touching things. Uh, mm-hmm. And now they're touching things. And whether they like it or not, ideas are happening. Right? Maybe in the scene before, they said pirate ship. Oh, well, I'll just be on pirate ship again. And, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Right? Mm-hmm. But watching that discovery is really beautiful. <laughs> oh, man. That got me so, like... <laughs> And I, I visually saw like three or four times in my head that that happened. I pictured like at Dynamic during the old like Fool's Gold Jam things that they used to do. I, I, I was picturing multiple people like having that happen. That's hilarious. Like you can visualize it like that because you've seen it so many times. Where did we do, okay, Dynamic Eldorado, mm-hmm. Jam, the... Stage was on the east side, um, and it was a scene about spaceships. Yes! Yeah, and you were on the left side of the stage. Yeah. Wow, that was pulled from the archives. Yeah, dude, I have a, I have a garbage memory for everything <laughs> but improv. Really? 
I have a, a troupe called Two Worms. Um, it's, it's Meg and myself, and uh, Meg's a performer right now. She's also, uh, she runs a, a company called Meg's Mashables. Ah, 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 pitch. She pays me $100 to say it every time. So, um, no, but, uh, and she plays guitar and sings, and I do like all the physical stuff in the troupe. But um, we've done shows for years. I remember every single show. I remember every single show, the narrative of the whole thing, practically. I remember, what? like, tiny details. I remember audience reactions. I remember, like, it, like that one thing stays in my brain so hard. And jams, it's, it's very likely that I'll remember most of the jams that I've done. Really? The ones that I'm in. Uh, I have a hard time remembering, like, pretty much anything else. But Yeah. I agree. That's a weird thing. I think because my emotions are more connected to the event. <laughs> this might be dramatic. Um, my emotions might be more connected to it if I'm performing. Like, I'm a little bit more amped up. I'm, like, thinking about what I'm going to do, what I'm going to say. Like, care a little bit more. So I just tend to remember more about the experience because I'm, like, more there. Yeah. As opposed to when I just show up at, like, 9 to chit-chat. Like, I'm not going to remember the scenes, even though I'm watching. Yeah. I'm just not as invested. <laughs> Do you remember how long you had been doing it when that scene happened? Like so little time. That's the one I was referencing when I said I was kind of afraid. Yeah, I know. That's why when you said it, I was just like, I bet it was this one. But you ended up being the nicest person ever because I don't know if you remember what's happening, but I stepped out and the other person in the scene like completely ignored me. I don't know if they meant to or not, but they, I don't know if they saw me, but I had definitely committed and they definitely didn't acknowledge me. And then you did acknowledge me because I went to go then like back out. And then you were like, hey, get back here, or something like that. I was like, yeah. oh, he's so nice, because you can see that that happened. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, um, well, that, I think that comes with experience, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's such an easy thing to not be thinking about when you're kind of newer to improv, is, like, the, the subtle moments of taking care of someone, you know, that made an offer, right? Um, I don't know when I learned this, but I'm pretty darn good, and this is something that... I think if you're if you're gonna train, if you're gonna work one element of your improv like pretty well, uh, the ability to be in the scene and listening to everything, like, and seeing everything, try to like capture as much of what's happening as possible while you're in it, uh, because especially in jams, because they're so fast and they get chaotic and mm-hmm. people will over like overlap their dialogue and stuff, uh, but if you can hear everything the audience doesn't have the same problem the performer has where my focus is on the person i'm looking at right the audience sees the whole stage right they're not like thinking of the next thing to say so they're listening more intently uh so the audience is pretty much getting everything right you have to also do that so that when like someone comes in and they say like two lines and no one else really heard right and they walk out you can make a callback to that thing and the audience loses their fucking minds. Guys, like, wow! Because that also validates what that person said. That, that made that real. You know, like, that did happen. It wasn't a mistake that improviser made. That was a moment that now is, like, important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so interesting to think about. That you're seeing what's right in front of you, whereas the audience is seeing the entire show. And that's mm-hmm. what you have to think about. You know, like, I, I think about Shape of Show in terms of, like, you know, when you're 
introducing yourselves or the intros and the outros and like the transitions in those kind of times mm-hmm. but thinking about it too more in terms of the scene as well and like yeah I think that in the same vein I had a teacher tell me this recently that no matter what happens in the room if it if it's something people can see and hear you have to acknowledge it because everything in the room is fair game and if there's an obvious sound that goes by unacknowledged, it makes the audience lose confidence in you. Yeah. It also, it reminds them of the separation, you know, mm-hmm. between like you and them, right? Like the second, you know, like a, a loud car, like when the audience looks at it, if you don't address it, then now, okay, we're in a theater, there's a street out there and this is a show. Um, but the car goes like, wow, and, and you're just like, big cat, wow. And then you go back to your scene, and it's like, oh, wow, okay, yeah. That was all part of it. <laughs> yeah. What are mistakes that you see people, improvisers, make a lot that you just, mm. you wish you could just shake them out of it? I will, I'll say, uh, instead of, instead of like addressing mistakes that I've seen I'll I'll say I think I see a lot of easy cheats mm. easy cheat codes mm. that um, people could be utilizing uh, in their scenes which typically you know uh, we just we'll just help them you know uh, and the audience like uh, so it'll, it, whatever um, <laughs> but uh, I think a real easy cheat code is whatever the suggestion is don't address it. Do not let the suggestion be the first thing that you do. If they say cake, don't make a cake. If they say, you know, bus, don't be in a bus. You know, it's so, it's such a gift to have that first moment also be a callback, right? Like, if you know cake and you, you know, have a, you're dragging a sack, you know, across the scene, you're dragging a sack for a whole scene. You don't have to talk about the sack. And at the very end, you open up the sack and it's a mushed up cake. Then the audience is like, my suggestion! <laughs> you know? But if you're like, someone's like, cake. And then you do a scene you're making a cake. They don't give a shit. Yeah. They already know cake. The audience already knows cake. We know. <laughs> That's so true. It's such an opportunity for a good moment to just like kind of so che- it's such a cheesy like like oh yeah I can totally uh, I make the mistake of just forgetting about it entirely uh, <laughs> so like I'll be like yeah great uh, aardvark oh I love aardvark that one that one and pineapple and spatula love these but you, you get it you know and, and you like go out on the stage and, and I'm like oh alright I'm gonna be in the desert I'll just start in the desert you know or or even like I'll be in outer space doesn't matter I can't wait for aardvark to be in outer space, right? <laughs> is it a code, right? Mm-hmm. Is it space aardvarks, right? Are we aardvarks in space? Is this the first aardvark to go to space, right? Uh, all those things, and then at the end of the scene, I'll be like, oh, shit, I didn't, I didn't do aardvark at all, you know? <laughs> but it is such easy, even me just saying that right there got me really excited about, like, a scene about aardvarks in space, you know? But if you start with, like, Someone saying, this is the first aardvark in space. Audience is way less interested. You're like, yeah, we already knew aardvark. Right? Mm-hmm. But if you're in space for a whole scene 
And then you open up a compartment and you're like, wow, looks like he survived, guys. This is officially the first art bark in space. And then you shut the compartment and it's like the audience loses their mind. That's so true. Yeah, when people, because that actually happened to me at the last jam that I was at where the audience member was like orange. And then the next scene was like, hey, I'm an orange salesman. Do you want, you know, one of those situations. And I was just, when people take things so literally. It, it's not, it's not bad. It, it just makes it harder for you as an mm -hmm. improviser, you know, like you have immediately given your first gift away. True. Right? You're, you have immediately put yourself in a position where now I have to be funny and engaging. Uh, and I have to do that all on my own, you know, I have mm -hmm. to create whatever this moment is right now. I have to make that interesting as opposed to the audience waiting for their suggestion to come around. And that putting them a little bit on the edge of their seats, like, all right, I said aardvark, or I said oranges, right? I said oranges, and they're in the center of the earth. Why? You know? Like, that's like, Why? you're immediately, you, you force them into curiosity. But you say oranges, you go out and you pick oranges from a tree, and now you're starting at zero. Yeah. That's a good point. I didn't even think about it like that. Like, I knew it was annoying, <laughs> but I didn't think about it like that. Like, it was an opportunity. <laughs> yeah. Was there a hurdle that you struggled to get over in improv, or were you always just this good? <laughs> no. I, I started improv in college. Um, I, was, uh, I was playing football, and I was like a real sporty boy, and my friend was like, hey, man, I'm going to go audition for the improv team. Uh, do you want to come with me? And he was a really, really good friend. And so I was like, no, I'll go and support, you know. <laughs> uh, and so I just went, and I was sitting in the audience, and the person, you know, um, running it, who just so happened to be Meg, uh, we went to the same college, uh, Meg was like, uh, does anybody else want to? Because there were a couple people, you know, sitting mm -hmm. down still, uh, that were just coming to support. And I'm like, ah, who cares? Really? Yeah, I'll get up there on audition. And uh, there wasn't, like, a ton of people. I, I'm not even sure how many, like, made it or didn't. It wasn't, like, a big accolade to make it, you know. So I might not have been good, right? They, they just saw it. They were like, okay, this guy, he said, some, he said some funny things. He could be in the team. He did something right. Right, yeah. And so I learned improv. And I, I'm, 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 I've never really been, like, a crude joke guy, you know. Mm -hmm. Nothing against it. Um, I... I just don't think it's funny and I think you should do the things, you know, like you should be having fun too, right? Not just like entertaining the audience. You should also be having fun. So my jokes are very rarely like crude, but mm -hmm. that's all college improvisers want to do. They're like, I can't wait to find a reason to say penis. <laughs> I'm so excited to make a gay joke, you know? And it's just like, God, like, <laughs> it doesn't have to be like these like, borderline offensive straight up offensive things yeah. to be funny right um so i spent all my college uh, improv time being the person that was like curtailing you know like mm. crude kind of jokes into something a little bit more like accessible for my liking you know mm -hmm. and was that the right thing to do i don't think so uh, there's a world where if i was in that situation now Right, I could celebrate those crude jokes um, without yeah. myself being crude. Right, uh, you know, there's there's a world mm -hmm. for all kinds of comedy. 
But at the time, that's what I did. And so that's how I learned how to do improv was whatever anyone gives me, anything anyone gives me, I did it for years. I'm going to try and find a way to make this accessible to as young a person as possible. Yeah, that's my head. Cause like, if a kid can like it, then an adult can like it. But if an adult can like it, it doesn't necessarily mean a kid can. Yeah, just making it more accessible, I guess. Not necessarily for kids. Just like yeah, yeah. Well, I would say that's true. Now that you bring that up about your style, at least from what I've seen and like other people that I like to watch, is it's always very their statements are always very direct Mm. and it's simple but not in a boring way or in a or like they're not (laughs) i know the word boring has been a hot button on this uh but not in a boring way just direct and simple and to the point and that seems to make scenes more successful in my eyes like you know sometimes Mm. when you see people like start to stack information or like sometimes talk over each other or like they start to talk quickly and it's kind of a lot when the scene is slowed down and the pace is slowed down and the comments are direct and simple, that's usually more professional players yeah. who are playing that are able to do that. Because it's such a rookie thing to talk quickly and speak quickly and not be as simple, you know, throw in unnecessary details and things that mm. aren't going to move the story forward necessarily. Sure, sure, yeah. It, I think it also it might be telling. I don't know if this is like a peek behind the curtain for like... <laughs> any of the improvisers that people are like, yeah, they're good, right? Um, there's like, because I don't know if they're doing this, but there's moments where, you know, I'll say like a simple thing um, to kind of buy myself time to figure out what the fuck is going on, right? In mm-hmm. my mind, uh, in the scene, what I'm going to do, right? Like having those declar- de- uh, declarative, mm-hmm. is that how you say that word? Declarative sentences. De- declarative I'm I think it's declarative, okay, but I also don't know. <laughs> yeah. uh, but you write letters. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, but there, you know, there are times where like you, like I'll go out and I'll just be like, I'll be like, you know, like Walter, I've lost my overalls for the last time. And then I'll wait for them to say something, and I'll, I'll like really wait. I don't care how long it takes. <laughs> look at them. And I'm like, uh, look around, and I'm like, okay. I'm going to be in the bathroom. I said, I don't take my pants off and sit on the toilet, you know. Uh, I don't do crude jokes. <laughs> I don't want people, I don't want people to, to be like, yo, yeah, Cole, you, you do your improv for children. I've watched you explode so many heads. I've watched you jump out of, your skeleton jump out of bodies before, you know. I'm like, Well, children should know about these things. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. You get it. There's a real world out there where heads explode. This is life, kids. My mom showed me a note the other day that I wrote when I was a kid, and I was like, Dear Tooth Fairy, writing letters <laughs> again. <laughs> tooth Fairy? Oh my God. I said, Dear Tooth, I was saying, Dear, apparently, too. I lost my tooth, which is when you're supposed to get money. Yeah. But I lost my lost tooth. So I can't put it under my pillow. But I still want you to leave the money. I don't want there to be any confusion about the money. <laughs> You know, spoken as like a five-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> <Something>. <laughs> I was like, man, even back then, I was like, gotta get that back. <laughs> um, yeah, gotta get yours. Yeah. Um, um, do you ever have, like panic on stage? Do you ever have those uh, a moment where you're like, 
I really don't know what to do right now? No. Or do you not run into that? I panic before, right? I think most people do. Um, but uh, I... It's, it's an old adage, um, but the whole, like, fear and excitement are, like, the same mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, when I was doing a lot of shows in front of big audiences, uh, I started to get, like, increasingly more and more scared. And then when the stakes mm-hmm. were going up, you know, like, that, you know, like, there was, like, I could, if I do well enough, I'll get to, like, the next level, you know, or, or I'll, I'll get more, you know, like auditions you know and stuff when that stake started going up i started getting more and more nervous and i felt it turning my improv into exactly what i was saying where i was like i know the avenues of success and so i was finding success still but i my nervousness was pushing me to this repetitive mm-hmm. kind of like world mm-hmm. and i like heard someone say that as you do like a million times in your life hear people say the whole thing but for some reason, that one moment, right, it clicked in me. And I'm just like, oh, oh my God. It can't just be excitement. You know, it doesn't have to be fear. I can't just, like, tell myself excitement. And so then for years, I spent just, like, training myself, like, if someone's, like, nervous, I'm like, yeah, I'm really excited. You know, just saying it. I think words have power. Right, so I'll mm-hmm. say, like, when I'm like, hey, like, are you scared? And, like, I'm really excited, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, Is this really scary? Yeah, it's really exciting saying is really really powerful what other coping mechanisms <laughs> i said that's so weird declarative <laughs> what other coping mechanisms do you have for that kind of energy um how to harness it and use it instead of letting it get in your way oh i don't know if i do <laughs> <laughs> the uh the the preparing element of of theater uh i do push-ups um, oh. Yeah, I do a lot. Of, I do. I I started doing this in college. I did it as more of a flex. Like I said, I wasn't <laughs> always. Um, I wasn't always who I am right now. But <laughs> in college, because I was playing football, I was very very strong for theater, right? Because like, oh, yeah. I had, you know, like I I'd wake up, I'd do meetings, I would lift weights, I would do school, I would do practice, I would lift weights, and then I'd go to sleep, right? And that's what I did for years. And so when I was doing improv, uh, you thread that in there and I'm still like, like my identity is now the strong guy in theater, right? And so I like leaned into that and I just would like, you know, do push-ups as a way to like boost my confidence. Like, yeah, look at how many push-ups I can do, you know? Yeah. And that confidence let me get, get on stage. But then it became ritual. So when I stopped doing football and my like muscles turned into like more of like a person who I am now just as a person that rides bicycles and does yard work right what do you mean you're ripped uh, yeah <laughs> yeah you heard it first you'll never know because it's a podcast <laughs> yeah. keep telling people that keep yeah. telling people that I'll just keep wearing these long sleeves you can so. say anything could be true. exactly exactly <laughs> uh, no but like once you know that happened it, it I just started doing it out of ritual mm. I just did push-ups now that's kind of fun, too, because it focuses that energy into something productive. Mm. I'm sure I'm nervous, but I'm also getting stronger. Right, and it focuses the energy. Yeah. In a way, because sometimes when, you're, when you have that nervous energy, it feels like 
there's so much pent up and there's nowhere for that energy to go. (laughs) So if you're doing push-ups, you're like, I feel pain in my arms right now. That's where my focus (laughs) is on that. Um, But I meant to ask you this because I I forgot about your football background. Um, Did you ever have an identity struggle once you maybe got more into theater or improv and less into sports? Did you ever struggle with like, when you were doing artistic things, you're like, this isn't, this isn't really me. Like I'm, I'm an athlete person. I'm doing my art stuff, but that's not who I am to shifting from, you know, now I don't consider myself an athlete anymore. Whereas I, that used to be a huge part of my identity. Yeah. Whereas now it's more like if I'm, if I'm like playing a sport, I'm like, guys i'm doing like sports right now because i'm just (laughs) it's not that often now so now it's like an event for me in the way that like doing improper you know being in a play like when i was in high school and i played sports but then i was i had a small part in the play my senior year you know to try it because you know if you're a senior they just pretty much let anybody do it it was like oh i'm an athlete dabbling in this artsy thing yeah you know did you ever have that uh, no, not at all. Really? I was like, yeah, I was very fortunate. Um, my parents were in, were incredibly supportive people um, my whole life. Uh, and I wasn't good at sports in the very, very beginning. Um, but my dad, he like practiced with me like when I was doing baseball. I got pulled out of right field in the middle of an inning. If you know baseball, you know that doesn't happen. As a child, I got pulled out of right field in the middle of an inning, and it crushed me. And then my dad, he spent like hours out. He would like work a whole, you know, he was an electrician, so and he, so he was like, like he's got a fucking blue collar job where he's tired at the end of the day, but then he would play catch with me for like hours, you know? Mm-hmm. Eventually got to a point where I'm like, I could throw a ball harder and farther than anyone, anyone. I could can that thing. And then I became really, really good at baseball. and. So, like, my parents are always really, my mom, you know, is also an incredibly supportive person. She, you know, they both, like, were very present in my sports, you know. Um, but they were also very present in, like, my creativity. They would, like, you know, play with us and, and like, encourage us to go outside or whatever, you know, do the, the thing. And so I was very, very, very fortunate in that. And it always made me feel like it wasn't, like, there weren't things I couldn't do. You know, I never felt that. I never felt like I was a thing and I wasn't a thing. I always mm-hmm. felt like everything is, is possible for me. So when I was making mm-hmm. this transition, transition, <laughs> I still feel like an athlete. If someone tells me, asks me, they're like, are you athletic? I'm like, yeah. Um, no matter how like much muscle I've lost in my life. Uh, but the, the transition was, was kind of like beautiful. I was very fortunate. Uh, I went to a D2 school, so it wasn't like... It wasn't a D1 where, you know, I'm on TV, you know, uh, but it wasn't a D3 where, you know, it's um, a little bit smaller. It was like right yeah. in the middle where it felt to me at the time where I was like, like, wow, this is really important, you know, like everyone here is taking it seriously. And I went to, I, on my, Austin Eckler is a uh, running back for the Chargers. Mm-hmm. He was on my team. Like we play, I played with him. And so like there, there was like a real weight to it, you know? when I started doing more and more theater, uh, there came a time where I had a, a, a play. I was, it was opening night for a play that I was the, the lead in. Mm-hmm. And it was also uh, homecoming, the homecoming game, the homecoming football game. 
and I told my coach, I went up to him and I was just like, hey, coach, uh, here's the situation. And he like looked at me and he was like, well, Wads, my last name's Wadsworth, and there's like three Coles on the team, so I was Wads. He's like, well, Wads, what are you gonna do after college? Are you gonna play football? Or are you gonna be an actor? I was like, well, I kinda wanna be an actor. He's like, well, there's your answer. And it was so cool. So chill. And so I did the play. And then, and that was like my junior year, or I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, but ever since then, you know, he, he was super supportive. In fact, like, it was so beautiful uh, on my first play. I wasn't even like, I was so fresh to the team, right? I wasn't even like an established person in this team. My first play, we sold out and well over half the audience was football players. Like they had just come to the game, I mean, come to the show, come to the game, <laughs> come to the theater game. <laughs> and they were just in the crowd and it was so beautiful, it was so fantastic. It's actually really wholesome. Yeah, it was really, really, really beautiful. Um, but it also, like I said, it, it never really felt like I left, you know, being an athlete to be a theater person. Yeah. Right? Like I, I my, my, my theater is still very athletic. You know, like I still, I, 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 I'm not the performer. Um, I'm not the performer that you see without having spent all that time, you know, honing my reflexes to whatever degree they are now. Um, uh, getting flexible from gymnastics, you know, like, uh, like the, the cardio endurance, right? To just be sporadic and crazy for 30 minutes on stage, right? Yeah. Like all of that comes from being athletic is my own like personal contributions where it's like you know other people they get raised in theater right so they come out and they they know where to stand right they know how to how to like place themselves just right without thinking about it you know they they have like fundamentals of of acting right um and that's where they get theirs right and which is i think i mean the more i'm talking about it the more it's like when people ask me you know, just like, hey, when are you teaching another workshop? Hey, when are you teaching another thing? You know, like, hey, when are you doing this thing? Right? I have to be really careful about explaining, like, what kind of service I can provide as far as the education, right? Because I can't teach people to uh, perform the way I perform, right? Just like I think most people can't teach the way, you know, um, they can't teach people to perform how they perform, right? Yeah. Um, but because of the way I do it is is, like... I want to say flashy, right? Or loud. Yeah. Um, because the way I do it, I think a lot of people are like, I want, I want to do that. You know, I want to be, you know, uh, I want to be a slime monster that comes out of someone's eyes, right? Like I want to be uh, an animated boat that, you know, gets a bank loan or something, right? I want to do those things. And really, I think the only thing that I, I really can like offer to people because of that is like my instinct to use physicality and improv, right? The, the, the tools that I've like collected over the years, you know, like, I mean, it's, at this point, it's over like a decade of doing improv. Like the things that I, I've, I've collected are, are tools that I use to specifically allow me as many opportunities for creative, uh, explosions as possible right like it's not 
has nothing to do really with um, my athleticism. That's like what puts the little the little like sprinkle on the top of my my stuff. Um, but it's like all the other like tools and stuff that that are that make me a good improviser, right? Mm-hmm. But people are like, I want to do a flip. You know, I'm just like, I yeah. like, go to a gym go, and like yeah. go to a parkour gym. Like, Get a lifetime fitness membership. Start flipping around on the bars and you'll figure it out. Yeah. Flexibility really is the thing. Oh, yeah? Do you take it seriously? I've been taking flexibility seriously recently. It's kind of changed my life. It, it will. It will change everybody's life. No, yeah. I haven't taken it seriously. I mm. need to. <laughs> I, I've gotten by and people just being like, wow, you're really flexible. And whatever level of flexibility I have, I have really good hip flexibility, right? Mm. I mean, like... My hips are really flexible, you know? <laughs> and so it, people are like, you're really flexible. And I'm like, yeah, but I can barely touch my toes, you know? <laughs> I'm not like a person that putting their elbows on the ground, right? I'm just... Yeah. So I need to take it more seriously. Thank you for telling me that. I will take it more seriously. <laughs> what, other than the obvious, like, being a good improviser in terms of, you know playing the game correctly, following the rules well, like d- doing scenes that work. Other than those things, what do you think makes for a, a dynamic performer that's captivating to the audience? Oh, interesting. Um, I want to say like... Oh, okay. I think if you look like someone that is, Anne Bogart is, um, if you look like someone like Anne Bogart, no, uh, <laughs> Anne, Anne Bogart is like the, um, like she, she's, she's viewpoints, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and viewpoints is like a, a movement, uh, uh, exercise, like a structure system, you know, um, a way of life. Right. Um, but she's like a big in theater, right? She, she, uh, like founded like the city company in New York and, They've been doing plays for forever, and they're really cool and extravagant. And, and a lot of the times, like, the reviews are like, I've never seen anything like it, right? And uh, so, and something she said uh, at this, like, seminar thing that I, I went to is, is she's like, she's like, um, like, an artist should consume the world, right? You should, you should always be just consuming things. And, and that hit me so hard as a performer um, when you're on the stage, if you look like someone that is bursting with ideas, you know, um, you have to also, those ideas have to be good, right? For the audience to be interested in you. Uh, and that works. Some people are just so rampantly creative. They're so aggressively funny that they can just be firing off the whole time, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but you have to be funny for that to work. Whereas if you look like someone that is like taking everything in, if you look like you're consuming, if some if someone says something and it looks like you received it, right? If someone does a physicality and you are like, yes, my physicality is now mine too, you know? Uh, they're drawn to you, you know? Like, and, mm-hmm. and in that way, right, you, you get to just be like, you get to be in it as much as, you know, you are... Um, providing for other people you're like yeah I'm also receiving I'm going to consume this like who am all of your character your physicality from head to toe I'm, I'm consuming it everything you say yes I'm eating it I'm eating it I'm eating it if you pick up an object and you put it down I know where it came from 
I know where it went. If you, you know, like mention your mom uh, in the beginning, right? I'm like, now there's a mom, right? Like that's mine and I'm consuming mm. everything. If you, you know, like stutter on one word, I'm like, oh, mine, right? Every single thing you do, I'm going to consume in a scene. Every single thing that happens, the audience doesn't laugh at a thing. The audience does laugh at a scene. I'm consuming that, right? The way that the stage looks, right? I'm consuming that. I mean, you just eat everything. And the audience is like, definitely drawn to that. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to be funny, right? Um, because at the end of the day, even if you had a bad show, you know, like, you took in a lot, right? Like, you got a lot. Like, now you have, like, moments of, like, oh, that physicality, right? Like, that they did was really interesting or, or that mm-hmm. thing they said oh yeah that was actually really an interesting observation oh yeah the audience totally didn't laugh at that thing that I was certain was going to be funny why didn't they laugh you know mm-hmm. you have all that whether you're thinking about it or not it's happening in your subconscious um, as opposed to like feeling exhausted and drained of ideas because you were just mm-hmm. like that was I was I worked so hard for every joke and every single thing mm-hmm Again, really, like, props to you people that do that when you get on a stage and you're like, I'm going to fire off the most hilarious one-liners for 30 minutes. I'm like, y'all are crazy. You know who does that? Um, she also does what I'm saying um, really well is Hannah. Hannah Esley-son. She uh-huh. is, like, a consumer. You, you watch her be on a stage. And um, she, she'll oscillate between this, like, I'm going to fire off a thousand things uh, and they're all going to be funny. Um, but the way her eyes and her eyes are like ridiculously open anyways uh the way her (laughs) eyes like open up a little bit more when someone does something right or Mm. says something you know you can see that she's like taking it it. yeah 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 the performer's like um like brett's more subtle about it uh if you watch him enough um he, he has a, his obvious tell of when someone says something that he's going to use later and he, he like smirks right so he'll just be on, on a stage and he'll like smirk and turn away and you're like ah oh, that's yeah you you <laughs> ate that you consumed that yeah you know? Madeline Evans she smiles big she, she doesn't even hide it she's just like what you said was and her the corners of her mouth shoot up right Avery's funny oh my god Avery's so funny you yeah. probably see this all the time Avery, Avery Sharp is so funny when he consumes something because mm-hmm. uh, he'll like he gets so excited about a, a thing that he'll like stutter and like and he's like oh yeah will yeah okay yeah uh, and you're like like as an audience member you're you're so engaged you're like yeah 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 what's gonna happen now you know because he you're you're watching someone take it on in. can I can I ask you a question and sure. then you can you can return it to me if you want to but um, what is your if you were like gonna give a, uh, if you if you pretend like you are the best improviser in the world with exactly how you do it right not changing anything but exactly how you do it pretend like you're the best and you have that confidence um, what is an element to performance like improv performance that you think uh, leads to the most amount of fun making art that is authentic but that is moving for other people at the same time. Interesting. I, for me personally, mm-hmm. it's my goal, my biggest goal. Um, I think I said this, I, I said this to a bunch of people one time. Uh, 
when I did the interview for Bibliotech. Um, what is what is your goal, right? When you, when you're doing improv, like for success or, or not goal, like what are, what are your parameters for success, right? Uh, when you're doing improv, um, you're there. It's not there. You're, there's no points, right? So you have to internally set that goal, and my goal every time, no matter what, is do something the audience has never seen before, right? And if I'm doing that, if I'm, I don't know who's in the audience, right? So it just has to be something I'm trying to do for the first time ever in my life, <laughs> you know? And so in a way, my goal is also do something I've never seen before, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that is so impossibly fun to try and make every single improv scene that you have ever done in your entire life, every single one of them, and the ones that you're gonna do, uh, new. And just by the infinite probabilities, you know, of, of like any one moment, they are going to be different. But really putting in an effort where if you, you know, find yourself starting scenes by walking out and picking something up a lot, you know, like clock that and maybe walk out and kick the thing that you would have picked up. Right before you do the thing you're about to do, make a hard right turn, right? Which is what I do. And mm-hmm. I, I, you know, at the very least, I surprise myself and I have fun and I'm like, ah, yeah, I really should not have, you know, made my face a pizza <laughs> in that scene, right? That was a little bit more difficult. Yeah. It was a blast. I guess in that same vein, even though you want every scene to be different, what is something important that every every good scene should have? Courage. Mm. I think I think there should be an act of courage. Um, if you're doing something you're very comfortable with, right? Um, what is the courageous choice? Uh, for me. Sometimes I'll find, cause it, and by that, I, I think that's a better way to put it than saying like, do something big, you know, or like crazy, blah, blah, blah. or like, you know, uh, really, you know, like uh, shock the audience, right? I don't think that's necessarily always important, but mm-hmm. being courageous really is because that, that's fulfilling for you, it's fulfilling for the audience. Um, and it also takes whatever you're doing and make, makes you ask yourself like, what is the next stage of this? You know, like, if, if I'm doing a scene, uh, like a two-person scene, and I feel very comfortable, and the audience is kind of laughing, you know, or even, they could even be really, really laughing, right? Um, what is the courageous choice, right? Like, is it, would it be courageous for me to, you know, um, offer a suggestion in the middle of this you know, scene that's happening that might, might not be the perfect choice, right? Uh, and then dance with that. Or just, you know, Standing on a stage quietly, right? I will say, ugh, the thing I'm like genuinely afraid of is um, the second I like I'm out there and I feel I feel like I have accidentally been in it too much, you know. Um, if I've like I've jumped in a lot, I've been really loud characters. If at a jam, specifically yeah. at a jam, um, if I felt like I'm in it too much, 
but I'm in a scene with someone and the scene's going on for a long, no one's swiping it, like that's when I get scared. Uh, Cause my brain's like, oh man, I'm really taking these opportunities away from someone else, you know? Uh, uh, only when they're new improvisers. If they're veteran improvisers, get out there. You better take this stage from me. I'll take all the fucking time I can. I love <laughs> the stage. Um, but if they're like people that, you know, don't have that reflex to like, take the stage, right? Uh, that's, I'll get, I'll have moments of, of like scare and being afraid. Like, how do I, how do I get them? How do I involve them without being too present and without leaving them? I can't just be like, hey, yeah, come on the stage and I'm gone. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I gotta like give them tools, you know, I gotta help them like, until I'm like, oh, all right, you're flying. Then I can leave. Yeah. So I do get scared when that, but. So mm-hmm. I guess, you know, courage. Courage is my answer. Yeah, courage to your, like for yourself. Like what courage, where that point is for you. Because for some people, getting out there and just doing something small is like a big move. For, like when I first started going out there and saying like a full sentence. Yeah. I was like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I was going to say, by the way, I like that you fill space often. Because you say you don't like silence. But you often fill space with physical movements because that is a form of talking like you're you're portraying information to the audience totally but you use that as a form of talking in the way that i see you use it and i i don't i see object work as like i am doing things now and it's like i would like to see that as a form of like i don't need to tell you what i'm doing i can just kind of show you and that yeah. it's more visual and dynamic for the audience Aww. trying to compliment you <laughs> thank you and it's received <laughs> i i will say i love silence i don't like downtime oh okay yeah active silence that shit is oh when two people get on stage if you don't if you don't oh man words have gotten in my way more often than not i will i will do improv for the rest of my life and not say words if if i can get good at good enough at it you know Mm -hmm. it's so often that i'm just like out in a scene and I'm doing something really engaging and then, you know, my nerves or something will, will make me say something or, or I didn't, I didn't physicalize it good enough, you know, in the moment where I feel comfortable, right, to, to just be in that thing, right? It happens rarely, right, because I feel very comfortable just silently, physically, like what you're saying, you know, like feeling the space with that. Mm-hmm. But silence is, I... Like where nothing's it. happening, it's just like, si- like silence is good. Dead air, not good. Totally, yeah. If it feels like intentional silence, is is really great and palpable. It doesn't have to be. It can be awkward, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but as long as it's like, you see the performers are they're making the choice to be quiet, right? Or maybe the scene is just so overwhelmingly something that they have to be quiet, right? That's engaging too. Mm-hmm. But the uh, but silence is so beautiful. Yeah. I love, oh man, that reminds me of so many wonderful like moments, you know, of, of triumph on a stage when people don't talk and, and then they get off and it's always like a big thing. People are always talking about it. They're like, yeah, they did a scene, they didn't even talk, you know, they robbed the bank and they didn't even. I was doing, um, this, I'm such a yammer, oh my God. We've been, yeah. I looked at the time for this for the first time. <laughs> So much of that is just me yammering. No, that's what this is for. So that's okay. good. <laughs> oh, wait, saying, what were you just saying now? Okay. Uh, 
I was uh, I was at um, one of the dad's garage student nights a long, long time ago. And uh, I knew this uh, improviser, his name was Rob. Um, and he was like, he was one of those like improvisers that was just like there, he was present, you know? Like he'd get mm-hmm. on the stage and and you you kind of watch him because you're like, I don't really know what's gonna happen. But he talked a lot, right? Yeah. He used his voice, he, he just, that's how he improvised. And he was a very big like talker. I think it's because his job was very science oriented. And so you get in this realm of like um, explaining, right? When, mm-hmm. you know, that's kind of your job. You're like, I'm figuring out how things work and I'm talking, you know? Well, anyways, uh, we get in a scene together and the, and the first thing I, I say to him, uh, I'm just like, we, I established that we're robbing a bank and then I'm like, all right, Kyle, it's gonna be easy for you to be quiet in there considering you can't talk. And his eyes like, like there was just something so magical happening in him where I watched this person who only talked in his scenes, not being able to talk, his eyes sparkled and he did one of the best like improv scenes I've, 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 I've ever seen, like immediately grabbed a shotgun with his hands, like just materialized the shotgun with his hands, like cocked it, kicked the door open, pointed the gun, like everything was so powerful and palpable and, and intentional and, and fearless and, and talk about courage, man. That guy just, he hit the stage harder than anyone had ever seen and it, it shook me to my core. It was beautiful when he didn't say a single word. I think that's a big moment for people the first time they do a silent moment like that because you... I didn't even want to do two prov previously. I was so afraid of having to fill that much space on stage with just two people with words and, you know, mm-hmm. and all of it all goes. So, like, imagining doing it with no words was like, well, how does that work? But then we did that. Actually, Avery challenged us to do that out of practice a while ago, and it really stands out to me. You know, we've had so many practices, and that night still is so vivid to me because we did one scene where you could only speak when you were physically touching each other, but you could only physically touch when it made sense. You couldn't just keep, you know, touching each other. Um, And then we did one fully silent scene, and it was, like, the most emotional scenes we've ever done. It's like, how annoying is that this whole time I've been trying to figure out how to talk more when in reality, <laughs> like, <laughs> I guess I needed to talk less. <laughs> but, I mean, that really shocked me how much emotion can actually be there when you're not saying anything, like how much mm. you can actually just show. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is. It's funny, like, talking to me, you're just, like, talking, you've been trying to talk more and really should talk less. It's one of those, It's it feels like one of those things, like, much of improv where you have to, you have to, like, pursue something an aspect of it, right? You have to pursue it thinking like, I need to get better at this thing um, to a cert- to, to such a level that you don't need to do that thing anymore. You know, like you have to get so comfortable talking that you don't have to talk, mm-hmm. you know? It's like not having to do the thing, like feeling comfortable not doing the thing is like a good sign that you've, you know, gotten to a point with it. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's like, uh, it's like, oh, whatever, it, what are those old adages, like the, like the wisest person, you know, says the least or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so in that world of improv, it makes total sense that like, you know, when you're like new at it, you're like, I can't, I can't say anything. I'm too scared. I'm too nervous. What's the right thing to say? What's the, yeah. You know, and then you figure out, you're like, oh, this is the right thing to say. 
oh, this is sounds funny. Oh my God, I can talk through a whole scene and everyone's gonna love it. And the audience loves it. And then, you know, it like gets to a place where like, I can just go on a stage and I don't have to say anything. Well, thank you for joining the podcast. We could yes. do this for hours and we have. Wow, yeah. I mean, if we do it for... Uh, I mean, you'll, you're going to edit it so it'll be shorter, mm-hmm. I imagine, but... Let the um, record show. <laughs> yeah, let the record show that the total length of this uh, is almost two hours. 157. Wild. That is crazy. I don't talk... <sighs> I guess when it's like something, you know, like engaging that I've been doing for years, it's, it's not hard to, you know, continue a conversation in a world of improv. Especially because... Your insights are so different. No, I see now I'm getting started again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and it's even funnier yet because you and I, outside of these two interactions, like we've talked, but we haven't had a long conversation. But to like not ever really have many conversations and then it's like we could talk for two hours about really like one thing. But that's how many avenues there are to the whole conversation. And that's why the podcast is like it's an improv podcast. But also I, I call it more a podcast about improvisers. That's really beautiful. I love that a lot. I um, I I binged the first like five episodes of the podcast. Okay. Uh, when you're like, when I was made aware of it, I was just like, whoa, oh, that is very cool. And I started, you know, like there's some people that have been doing it forever. You know, like Aaron Shore is one of them. It was yeah. in one of the early episodes, and uh, like I remember, you know, he was over at Village, you know, doing stuff mm-hmm. and. Uh, I'd see him at Richard Kickers, like these old institutions that don't exist anymore. Um, speaking of which, uh, <laughs> there's this, so, uh, just paying homage to this thing that is really important to the, the older generation of improvisers here in Atlanta. Oh no! <laughs> but um, I, was, I looked at the time and it's almost two hours. Okay, but this is, I think this is like worth saying, you know, yeah. it's like, um, there's this jam called Richard Kickers, right? And, and people have talked about it in length and infancy right mm-hmm. uh, used to exist and it it kind of started the in the Atlanta culture it's it's the don't be an asshole you know out of jam right oh. motif right um and it could have it could have happened before you know Richard Kickers but um, we could trace it back to that right that's like that at least in my mind right mm-hmm. um that it was happening in the Atlanta uh, improv scene and um it was ran by uh, a guy named Chris Nick and um just you know like that if you see a lot of these older improvisers, yeah, older in age, but also like Atlanta improv yeah. scene aged, um, <laughs> uh, but you see them, I would say, I, I can almost guarantee that if they were in Atlanta doing improv before the pandemic, they went to Richard Hickers and it affected them. Mm. Like it was palpable. Um, but that's my last, that's my last thing. I just want to because to me, that was, I think, my the most growth I ever had in my entire life for improv was in the time I spent doing the Richard Kickers Jam. Why do you... I, I know we're getting... But, but, but I am curious, why do you think that was a prominent time in your growth and your experience? It was... I was doing shows at other theaters that had, like, uh, established audiences and established motifs in the performances. And there was a lot of, uh, there, were, there were, how do I put this? There were keys that you could have that unlocked success, mm-hmm. right? Like there were ways to be funny that the audience did like, right? 
um, and there were ways to behave that the theaters did like, right? So there were, there were things, you know, they were very obvious. And you just had to get the keys and you unlock the doors, right? And that's how it worked. At Richard Kickers, it was, you never knew what any one night was going to be like. You never knew. Every single time we went there, it was absolutely aggressively different, unique, like special, individual, dangerous, you know? I mean, it had its, it had its like good and bad aspects, right? There were times where people physically got hurt on stage, you know? Um, like someone would be trying it for the first time and get a little bit too drunk, right? And mm. be a little bit more reckless with some arm flailing, right? Or, you know, uh, someone to come up and they weren't in a good headspace and, and it would come out in a scene and, 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 and they'd take it out on their scene partner, right? Uh, verbally, you know, it was really like aggressive and, and stuff. But then on the other hand, it was because it was so safe, right? It allowed people like that to have, you know, like a place where, where they could be offered forgiveness, you know, for those things, mm-hmm. right? They could go on stage and that could happen and then... You know, like they go, they, they leave the scene for a while and then they come back and they're an entirely different person, right? And they still have a home, a creative home. And then in, in, on the other realm, you know, it's like there were such, there were rigid people that would do a scene and there would be a guy that would just every five seconds walk across the front of the scene shouting a location and a date. And he would do that every week. There, This is a real guy. And, he, and I won't say any names, but it was... The most funny thing, he would just change the location and the year. Like, he, and he <laughs> would so do funny. it. Yeah. And so you'd get people that like knew success. They knew how to be funny. And their shit didn't work here. Mm. Because the rules were out the window. There was no, there was no like book about how to do Richard Kicker's improv. Oh, you just had yeah. to be on stage with all your tools as best you can and try and survive. Right? It was, it was the Coliseum. Right? It was the Wild West. It was, it, it was beautiful, dangerous. It was all these wonderful things. But anyway, thanks so much for all of your insights yes. and everything. Thank you for yours. I learned a lot. Uh, this happened last time too. But last time, a little peek behind the curtain, last time I was bawling my eyes out. I was crying so much. I <laughs> cried like gallons because we talked about my, my dog that had recently passed and, and my mom and how much I love her, you know, and, and my yeah. family and like everything, you know. I was just like crying so much. So this is a way more like, <laughs> like improv, personality, life oriented. No, yeah, it was a great conversation, but maybe maybe it was best left unimportant. I was also I, I was also tearing up a lot because once I get started crying, I can't stop. It's just one of those things, so it's like don't let it like start. Um, but yeah, this is great. Once again, we could, there are just so many ways to talk about this, but um, but yeah, thanks so much for your time, and I'm so glad that you still come to the jams a lot too because I think sometimes when people they can grow out of the community and like we don't see them as much anymore. So I'm glad you're still coming and stuff. Yeah. I'll, I'll never stop going to jams. That doesn't matter my success. If I, I really hope I book something like huge. I hope I get on like some crazy, you know, like star Wars trilogy level thing. And I get so <laughs> dumb famous. Uh, Cause then like the kind of money that I can put into jam culture, <sighs> jam culture would be, absolutely insane there would be like hired musicians every single jam at every location in Atlanta. oh man the kind of dumb stuff i'd do with 
the way we need this. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you, Cole. Yeah, what's your send off? And that's the turtle's nest. <laughs> 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 <laughs>